Hallelujah. Please be seated. Well, good morning, Anacostia River Church. How y'all doing today? Amen. Amen. Um, please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. Again, that's Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. And Romans 8, 12 through 17 reads, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Please join me and let us go to our Lord together in prayer. Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning through your holy word. Give us humble hearts to receive your word with gladness and attentive ears to your truth. Please guard my mouth from error and use this weak man to boast in you, a strong and great God. Please help me to decrease so that you can increase. You must become greater, and I must become less. Now, O oh Lord, please allow the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart to be acceptable in your sight. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before we dive back into the text... I want to take some time to read a moving story to you by Dr. Russell D. Moore, who is the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. This story is about him and his wife adopting two kids from an orphanage in Russia. Russell Moore writes this, quote, When Maria and I first walked into the orphanage, we were led to the boys the Russian courts had picked out for us to adopt. We almost vomited in reaction to the stench of the squalor of the place. The boys were in cribs in the dark, lying in their own waste. 
Leaving them at the end of each day was painful. But leaving them the final day before going home to wait for the paperwork to go through was the hardest thing either of us had ever done. Walking out of the room to prepare for the plane ride home, Maria and I could hear Maxim calling out for us and falling down in his crib and convulsing with tears. Maria shook with tears and I turned around to walk back into their room just for a minute. I placed my hand on both of their heads and said, knowing they couldn't understand a word of my English, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I don't think I consciously intended to cite Jesus' word to his disciples in John 14, 18. It seemed like the only thing worth saying at the time. When Maria and I at long last received the call that the legal process was over and we returned to Russia to pick up our new sons, we found that their transition from the orphanage to the family was more difficult than we had supposed. We addressed the boys. We dressed the boys in outfits our parents had bought for them. Our mother-in-law gathered some wildflowers growing between the cracks of the pavement outside the orphanage. We nodded our thanks to the orphanage personnel and walked out into the sunlight to the terror of the two boys. They had never seen the sun, and they never felt the wind. They had never heard the sound of a car door slamming or had the sensation of being carried along 100 miles an hour down a Russian road. I noticed that they were shaken and reaching back to the orphanage in the distance. I whispered to Sergi, now Timothy, that place is a pit. If only you knew what's waiting for you. A home with a mommy and a daddy who loves you. Grandparents and um, cousins and playmates and McDonald's Happy Meals. <laughs> but all they knew was the orphanage. Hmm. It was squal squalid, but they had no other reference point. It was home. We knew the boys had become comfortable to our home and that they trusted us when they stopped hiding food in their high chairs. They knew there would be another meal coming and they wouldn't have to fight for the scraps. This was the new normal. They are now thoroughly Americanized, perhaps too much so, able to recognize the sound of a microwave dinging from 40 yards away. I still remember, though, those little hands reaching back to the orphanage. And I see 
myself there. What a beautiful story. What a beautiful story. This story, in a sense, paints a picture of what God did for us. We were once orphans like Maxim and Sergi in the state of being extremely dirty and unpleasant, but not in baby cribs in the dark, but in the darkness of our sin. We were in the darkness of our sin. Our hearts were darkened, Romans 1.21. Our eyes were blinded by darkness, 1 John 2.11. And we loved the darkness rather than the light because our works were evil, John 3.19. Like Maxim and Sergi lying in their own waste, we were lying dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, but God, amen, being rich in mercy <laughs> because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, lying in our filth, he made us alive in Christ. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. Just as Russ Moore said to those two orphan boys in Russia, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. God sent his son Jesus Christ into the world to adopt sinners. And he said to his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And he has come to us indeed. He has come to adopt sinners. These truths ought to make you bless his name. Bless his name. Now let's dive back into Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. Fix your eyes on the text with me, if you would. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. The first thing that I want to point out from these verses is this. Living according to the flesh equals eternal separation from God. But if you kill the flesh, you will live. Romans 8, 12 and 13 reads, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Verse 13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. In verse 12, Paul is saying to his hearers that you are no longer debtors to the flesh. We are debtors, but not to the flesh. We're not obligated to the flesh no more. The Bible says who the Son sets free is free indeed. For those who are in Jesus, we are free so he says, we don't live according to the flesh. But then he gives a warning in verse 13. He says, 
For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The wages of sin is death. The, prime, the, the, the payment for our sin is death. Eternal separation from God. And Galatians 5, 19 and 21 points out what it means to live according to the flesh. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 reads, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, robberies, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And then he says this, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Living according to the flesh in an unrepentant state leads to eternal separation from God. It leads to hell. This is what the Bible points out, and this is what the Bible makes clear. But in verse 13, the rest of the verse, it says, But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, this verse is not talking about a physical harming of the body, but it's talking about a spiritual killing of the flesh using spiritual means. Turn with me to Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18 reads this. Finally... Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith by which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints." I love what Pastor John Piper points out from these verses. He says, out of all the things that are mentioned here that could be used to fight in this spiritual battle, there's only one thing in here that, that 
can kill the flesh. And he points out that it's the word of the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. That's the very thing that we need in order to kill the flesh, to mortify the flesh. It's the sword of the Spirit. So how do we put to death the deeds of the flesh? We put to death the deeds of the flesh by staying in God's word. The Bible says in Psalm 119, how can a man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to the word. We put to death the deeds of the flesh by memorizing God's word. In that same Psalm 119, God's word says, we have stored the word of God in our hearts so that we do not sin against you. We put to death the deeds of the flesh by hearing God's word. God's word says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Hallelujah. The second thing I want to point out from these verses from Romans 8, 12 through 17 is this. The sons of God are led by the Spirit, and we have received the Spirit of adoption. Therefore, we are heirs with Christ. Listen to this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, this is verse 14, are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, something so dear and near. This talks about a relationship, the word Abba. It's like calling him Daddy. We cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we might be glorified with him. I want to focus on the word adoption and these in this verse, in verse 15, and I want to ask three questions. The first question I want to ask is this, what is adoption? I would define adoption like this. Adoption is the sovereign act of God by which he makes us a part of his eternal family. Many of you don't know this, but When I married my wife, I knew that I was going to get a package deal. When I married my wife, I knew in my mind that that would also mean me adopting our oldest, who is Asia. So I remember when I married my wife, just saying in my mind, I'm going to adopt this girl as my very own. And it's very interesting because I remember she was in her rebellion. And I had to remind myself of how I was when I was in my rebellion. There was times when Asia would even run away from home. I remember my wife and I seeking her down to speak with her and to talk with her. And I would plead with tears coming down my face that she would repent and trust in Jesus. Our relationship was centered around Romans 5.8. God 
demonstrated his love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died. When I was in my rebellion, not giving a rip about God, it was in that state that God sent his son Jesus Christ to die. It wasn't when I was doing righteous things. So when I saw my soon-to-be daughter in her rebellion, I remembered the love of God that was displayed towards me, and I extended it towards her. I remember that there was a time when I was driving her to school a couple years ago, and I was just about to drop her off, and I said, Asia, I want to tell you something. I will never, ever call you my stepdaughter. And I said, you don't have to call me your dad, but just know I will never, ever call you my stepdaughter. And I knew it meant a lot to her because she had never, ever known her father. And I was stepping there to be a father to her. And she responded back to me and she said, I'm going to call you dad. And from that point on, there was just this bond, this trust between me and my daughter. It's so funny that even in preparing this message, it's like I don't even remember that I adopted her until I had to think about it. Because she's so a part of my life. I love her. She's so dear to me. There is no difference between her and Grace and Judah and the one that will be on the way. She is adopted into the family. When God adopts us into his family, we don't look at him and say, you're my stepfather. And he doesn't look at us and say, you're my stepchildren. No, he calls us his sons and his daughters, his children, and we call him Abba, Father. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Ephesians, matter of fact, Turn to Ephesians, if you would. Chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Believer, allow this to land on you. See, with my daughter Asia, she didn't know that I had made up in my mind that I was going to adopt her. She had no clue that I had in my mind that I was going to adopt her. And in the same exact way, God, the Father, had it on his mind from all eternity that he would adopt you, believer. Listen to his word. Bless be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us unto adoption. <laughs> as children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Before oceans and before land and trees and stars and creeping things and animals and all those things, God had it on his mind 
that he was going to adopt you before the foundation of the world. Let that give you security. Let that cause you to rejoice in your Savior, in your God, that he was thinking about you before the foundation of the world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to your name. Here's the second question. How does adoption happen? How does adoption happen? We already saw from Ephesians 1, 3 through 5, that this spiritual adoption is the doing of God, and God has accomplished this adoption through his son, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Galatians 4, 4 through 7 reads this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then a heir through God. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be adopted into his family. If you are here today, and if you are an unbeliever, just know that if you repent and trust in Jesus Christ and what he has done, you can be adopted into this family as well. But the Bible says for those who are not in Christ, according to Ephesians, that you're not children of God, but you're actually children of wrath. You're targets for God to pour out his perfect justice upon. I plead with you to turn from your sin and look to Christ. Behold, the Lamb of God who's able to take away the sins of the world. The Lamb of God who can save you and set you free, who can redeem you and present you faultless in front of God and welcome you into an eternal family through Jesus, through Jesus. Here's the third question and last question. What are the benefits of spiritual adoption? What are the benefits of spiritual adoption. I think verses 16 and 17 of Romans 8 explains this well. Please look at the text with me. Romans 8, 16 and 17 reads, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. The spiritual benefits of adoption is that we become heirs 
of God and fellow heirs with Christ, given eternal life, adopted into his family forever, forever, for all eternity. That's the spiritual benefits. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4 reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is unperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Hallelujah. That's what awaits you believer, an inheritance kept in glory for you. John 17, 3 reads this, and this is eternal life, that they may know the only true God in Jesus Christ, his son, of whom he has sent. Eternal life is that we get to know God and Jesus Christ, his son, of whom he has sent. Revelation 21, 2 through 4, reads this. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every fear, every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. The inheritance that God has prepared for us is an eternal home. This is a promise, child of God. And God doesn't break his promises. Hallelujah. The accuser of the brethren, which is Satan, the devil, is going to try his hardest to convince you that these promises aren't true. He'll constantly come to you and he'll say things like this. Look how little you read your Bible. Look how little you pray. Look how little you love the brothers and sisters in Christ. Look how much you sin. Look how long it takes you, husband, to reconcile with your wife. Look how long it takes you, wife, to reconcile with your husband. Look how you battle with unbelief. Are you really a child of God? Look at yourself. Look at your walk. Look at your prayerlessness. When the enemy comes and speaks things like that to you, remind yourself of what Romans 8 says. Romans 8, 31 through 39. This is how you answer that battle, that struggle. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, 
how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Believer, Christ is praying for you right now. As I preach this sermon, he's praying for you. As we go to bed, he's praying for you. When we're at work, he's praying for you. When you're driving back and forth, wherever you go, he's praying. Not only did he, the finished work of Christ was accomplished on the cross, but he's still praying. Talk about a God who loves his children. He loves his children. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughtered. No. In all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. I want to end with this quote from J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God. Listen. Adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. Higher even than, than justification, is what he says. That justification by which we mean God's forgiveness of the past together with his acceptance for the future is the primary and fundamental blessing of the gospel. Justification is the primary blessing because it meets our primary spiritual need. We all stand by nature under God's judgment. His law condemns us. Guilt gnaws at us, making us restless, miserable, and in our lucid moments afraid. We have no peace in ourselves because we have not peace with our maker so we need the forgiveness of our sins, the assurance of the restored relationship with God. More than we need anything else in the world, and this the gospel offers us before it offers anything else. And as justification is the primary blessing, so it is the fundamental blessing in the sense that everything else in our salvation assumes it and rest upon it, adoption included. But this is not to say that justification is the highest blessing of the gospel. Adoption is the higher blessing because of the richer relationship God gives us that we're involved in. Justification is a forensic idea conceived in terms of law 
and viewing God as judge. Adoption is a family idea conceived in terms of love and viewing God as father. In adoption, God takes us into his family and worship and enables us as his children and heirs. Closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. To be right with God, the judge, is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is a greater. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we know that it is your word that raises the dead. It's your word that causes people to be born again. It's your word that sustains believers in their walk. It's your word that convicts people of sin. It's your word that encourages believers towards Christ. It's your word that fills us with joy. Oh, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for Christ. Thank you that sinners like us could be redeemed and presented faultless in front of you. Father, just as parents stand in front of a judge and show their adoption papers in a natural realm that they own a child, Christ stands before you as the holy judge (laughs) and presents our adoption papers, but with his blood. And you welcome us into the family, an eternal family that will never end. We praise you for that. May we rejoice more in these truths. May we rejoice more in these truths, O God. Father, I pray that your word that was sown, that you would bring an increase and that you would get all of the honor and all of the glory and all of the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.